Welcome to this bonus rebroadcast of my recent appearance as a guest on the Sacred Sons podcast. We will be back this Tuesday with another official episode that's number 388, Cognitive Superpowers with Microdosing, Nootropics, Smart Drugs, and Peptides with Dr. Dan Stickler. The conversation you're about to tune into was loosely focused on spirituality and addiction recovery, although we traversed a wide range of topics, including, but not limited to, how I avoid being militant but still intentional about eating a healthy diet, the most important biohack of all, sleep, looking for solutions within and learning to subtract rather than add, my first experience with prayer and how it completely changed the course of my life, translating the 12 steps into universal truths, how I developed self-esteem by spending time around people who saw the light in me before I did, and finally taking divine guidance into all aspects of life, even finances. So my hope is that this conversation is going to be enlightening and inspiring. But before we jump off into the soul chat, I want to invite you to check out my new line of blue blocking eyewear. They're called Gilded Glasses, and you can find them at gildedbylukestory.com. And these frames not only work to block the blue light, but they actually look cool too. So again, you can find them at gildedbylukestory.com. That's G-I-L-D-E-D, gildedbylukestory.com. Enjoy the show. What's up, Soul Fam? Adam Jackson here for another episode of the Sacred Sons podcast. Sacred Sons, we are just returning from our leadership training summit in Telluride, Colorado at High Camp. We had 40 brothers out in the wild, deepening into our personal growth, leadership, leadership within our own lives, within our families, within our communities, and ultimately leadership that is in service to life in service to life itself. Today, we have a brother who's gonna be joining us by the name of Luke Story. He's an inspirational one. He's got an incredible story of his personal journey. And you know he's on a mission to help others lean into some of these healing and transformational modalities. So with that, our guest today, he's the host of the Lifestylist podcast. He's a motivational speaker. He's a meditation and metaphysics teacher, and he's also a lifestyle design expert who shares transformative principles of health and spirituality. Please welcome Luke Story. Uh, thanks, brother. I appreciate that. It's, it's funny, um, after doing a podcast myself for uh, six and a half years or something now, I always envy people that do the intro like all at the same time. I do it at the same time. Yes. Yeah, dude. Because every <laughs> just today, in fact, it's funny that that this should come up. Um, I get a, a a Slack message from my producers like, "Hey, we need the intro for next week," and I'm like, "Uh, I got to go back and like, what did we talk about two months ago when I recorded that?" You know, and it's right. always like this chase. But um, I I don't think I could ever really nail it live with the person there. But yet, I've never tried it. <laughs> I don't know if I can. Well, I just I'll, got I'll stuck. I do it for two reasons. One is for what you just spoke to. I, I want to knock it out in one shot. I don't want to go back and have to, you know, edit what I said, but also I want to hype you up. I want to give you the accolades. I want to, I want to inspire you to be that guy who you are in your bio and, and who you truly are. And like, you know, for a lot of us in this transformational healing space, you know, I, I, I really believe like I'm, I'm introducing you like a fighter like you're coming you're yeah. coming to the big event yeah. you know what I mean? yeah i love it i love it i'll take it i'll take cool, it man. and so you know I'm, I'm saying you're a motivational speaker and you talk about the ultimate wellness lifestyle 
And I'm just curious, is that a real thing? Is there a such thing as the ultimate wellness lifestyle? Well, it's subjective, right? I think the ultimate wellness lifestyle is whatever suits you and your lifestyle at any particular time. And we all have seasons of growth, right? Anyone that has spiritual aspirations or someone that's interested in self-healing and optimizing their body or mental performance, you go through phases, whether it's kind of rebuilding and rest and going deeper into meditation or then coming out of that, ready to you know hit the ground running and getting into brain function and nootropics and all of the things that are out there to help us energize. Um, so I don't know that there's a universal ultimate lifestyle, but there are certain principles that I've discovered over the past 24 years or so that work for different things based on what each person needs. And when, when I give someone, you know, my daily routine or morning routine, that's kind of new to this sort of stuff. They're like, Oh my God, how do you find time for that? And it's just become my lifestyle. Right. And I've built a career well, a couple of them around having the availability of time and resources to, to do all the things. Right. And I think for me, the ultimate lifestyle is constantly evolving. And that's what I teach because I'm constantly evolving. Uh, For example, for the past two years or so, I've been obsessed with Joe Dispenza meditations after, you know, meditating in the Vedic tradition for many years and and all sorts of other ways, Kundalini yoga, uh, all kinds of stuff. And I had a really good run with Joe's work. I interviewed him on my podcast, went to a couple of his retreats, and I was just like, I'm doing this twice a day, like an hour plus a day. Yeah. And it was incredible. And lately I found myself, I opened my phone to do whatever morning kind of routine I'm going to do. And I'm like, eh, I'm going to do this other thing now, you know? So it's like for the past two years, part of my ultimate lifestyle has been really diving into those, you know, quantum reality-based meditations. And I'll probably go back to it, but right now I feel like I need something different. So with each person's journey, I think you go through phases and there's ebbs and flows depending on what kind of support you're willing to give yourself and, and what kind you've identified that you need. But there are fundamental principles that I think are through lines that all human beings need in order to be truly functional. And that is, according to me, in my experience, um, that is some sort of physical movement routine, like moving, moving Absolutely. the meat suit, you know, whatever that looks like. I know I'm, with that, I go through phases too whether it be yoga, uh, mobility work, uh, high intensity interval training, resistance training, whatever. And then a, a meditative practice of some sort, a contemplative practice, right? Where we're going within and kind of shutting out our senses, um, a life of some version of faith, right? Mm-hmm. Where we're, we're contacting our creator in whatever way uh, is appropriate for us and fits into our paradigm of belief and experience. Uh, human relationships, human touch, intimacy, brotherhood, as you know a lot about. Yes, sir. Yes, right? The brotherhood. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, heart-centered vulnerability and intimacy with other human beings in our tribe, uh, using our breath, you know, through various forms of breath work, um, exposure to extreme hot and cold, which we've evolved to experience. So think saunas, ice baths, that kind of thing. Um and then, of course, you know, eating hopefully a diet that's free of of poison. <laughs> you know, it's just like I think that's a great thing to put into your lifestyle for just about anyone. Now, whether you want to be paleo, vegan, keto, you know, water fasting, whatever, um, I think if you're just generally avoiding without becoming too neurotic and orthorexic about it, avoiding foods that are literally poison, um, that's a good idea. 
Yeah. And then outside of that, it gets which, nuanced. Which, by the way, it's a little challenging these days to, it is. to actually stay away from all the, the toxic food that's out there. It is. And so, you know, you find a balance, right? I mean, there's times, I mean, we live, we just moved to uh, outside of Austin and the area in which we live is called Hill Country. And there's not really much organic food out here. And so my fiance and I will be driving around sometimes. And it's like, we're going to get a frosty at Wendy's. You know what I mean? And people that like follow my work would think, oh my God, you would never do that. And it's like, you know what? I, I keep it real and I keep it human and I do the best I can. You know, the food at home is, is not like that. Um, but so those are some of the fundamentals, you know, and then taking it further for some is, you know, getting into um, trauma healing through entheogens and various forms of therapy and all of the different modalities of personal development. And then on the physiological level, all of the tools that we have in the biohacking realm, whether it's technologies or supplementation. So for me, the ultimate lifestyle is just about like integrating what you need to evolve your soul here on earth and doing whatever is appropriate to support your body so that you have the energy and vitality to hold the energy that you're starting to accumulate and cultivate within yourself on your life's dharmic spiritual mission. Yeah, man. <clears throat> so you, you, you nailed it and we're missing one piece. So we have food, movement, breath, touch, love. How about rest, Luke? Do you give yourself time to rest, my brother? Totally, totally, totally. Yeah, I mean, that's a huge one, recovery, right? Especially for the the alpha type humans out there that are just like, go, 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 accomplish. And, uh, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because I've been getting a a taste of the repercussions of that myself this week, man. I just have found just due to a number of different circumstances, uh, largely outside of my control, that my nervous system is just shot. I've just been pushing really hard and taking on a lot. And Mm. my body and spirit are like, dude, you got to rearrange your life here a bit. This is not sustainable. And so I've been really taking a lot of time, um, you know, at least as much as I can to take moments of rest and really recuperating from the stress that we experience just from life. And I think with all the circumstances going on in the world right now, um, you know, I do my best to not, take it all too seriously, as serious as, as this situation is that we find ourselves, regardless of what your point of view is on what's happening, we can all agree that it's unprecedented. And so I kind of just, you know, that's just noise in the background, but I've realized that the, the things that are happening in the world right now, and specifically the loss of, of our freedoms and liberties and uh, the division between people that have different points of view on how they choose to approach medicine, um, there's a lot of background noise stress right now. And so you're right, man, that the sleep and recovery is huge. And, and I'm 50 now. And I think partly because bro, you're looking, thanks dude. Thanks. I just, I just passed out this morning and I I gave myself a big egg on my head. It's it's (laughs) crazy, bro. I was doing some breath work and because I've been so stressed, I'm like, Luke, you need to step up your breath work game. I mean, I do breath Uh work every day. You can blast off with some holotropic. Yeah. And I did, I did a really deep hold. And next thing you know, I'm on the ground with my arm all smashed under me and I skin my head and my knees. Like I, I straight up just collapsed out of a chair and hit the, um, the bed and the nightstand and just bang myself all up. So for those breathwork practitioners out there, if if you're going to do the deep work, um, I recommend doing it around something soft, but yeah, man. Um, anyway, what I was going to say was, you know, as I, as I get further on in years and a little longer in the tooth, I really feel the sleep piece. And so Mm. in, in my content, I'm kind of putting a warning to some of my younger brothers and sisters, like, Hey man, 
don't skip the sleep piece because later on you'll pay for it, you know? And so I, I mean, I have all kinds of ways that I track and quantify my sleep and all sorts of different tools I use to really hone in, you know, the sleep practice. And I've really made that a a cornerstone of, of my life, frankly, because I don't care how many supplements you have, how much breath work you do, uh, you know, you go get vitamin IVs, whatever. I mean, I have all the tools to known to humankind available to me because of the business I'm in. And there is nothing, literally nothing that trumps like a solid night of good quality sleep. It's just no nothing doubt. does it. No, And the doubt. nights, yeah, the nights that I, you know, I push the limits a little bit and I don't get enough sleep or the right type of sleep, you know, I'll wake up and I'm like, all right, I got to, I got to find the energy and I do all the things and it helps. I mean, I do a lot of pretty extreme stuff to fortify my body and and mind. Um, and then the next day I'll just get a good night's sleep. And I'm like, I don't need to do any of that stuff. All I needed yeah. was just some solid ass sleep. So yeah, you're, you're so right. That's a yeah. huge part of it. So let me ask you, cause you're highly motivated. You know, I can feel that just in, in your energy and speaking to you. Um, and a lot of the brothers that come through sacred sons, you know, one of the plights of man is that we don't know when to stop. We're all overworking. We're all like pushing for this unattainable goal goal because there's actually nowhere to arrive. And, you know, so all of this human optimization that's occurring is kind of like in an effort to keep us at a high capacity so we can do all this shit to fill a void that maybe, you know, could be filled with just a little bit of love and some honest communication, honest reflections with our loved ones. Oh, so, so, yeah, so, totally. so let me, let me just like, I want to just ask you in this space, has all of the, uh, the, the, the transformational principles, all of these modalities, has it, has it allowed you, uh, to, to maintain and hold better relationships in your life and knowing that the most important relationship is the one with ourselves? Well, it's two-sided and it's a great question. You know, I think with a lot of the the lifestyle practices, it's a double-edged sword because sort of the shadow side of it is in the looking outside of oneself to bring a sense of fulfillment and purpose or ease inside. Cause we're suffering from some sort of dis-ease, right? Whether it be a, you know, a chronic disease in the classical sense, or just a feeling of like, God, something's missing. Something's not right. So on the shadow side, there's what pill am I going to take? What routine am I going to do? What plant medicine am I going to try? Um, you know, what biohack, whatever, ad infinitum, thinking that there's something out there that can fulfill that void inside, which is at its core a relationship with oneself as one's true or higher self or soul. So operating in and of the world from a position of your true soul, knowing that your personality, your ego, your mind, intellect, body is just a vehicle for your soul to do its thing. So it's easy to get distracted with all of that stuff. Yet at the same time, a lot of these tools and practices are great gateways to take you into your highest best self to do the same thing. So I think in there, it's really for me personally, I mean, I've, I've, you know, I've gone between both of those extremes of just like cutting everything out and like all the answers are found within me and God, here we go, let's do this. I don't need any of this outside stuff. Yet at the same time, I found a lot of the externals to be supportive. So it's always about kind of inventorying myself and self-inquiry in an honest way. How much of the stuff I'm doing is a crutch that I'm leaning on Mm. in an act of subconscious avoidance of actually going within and learning how to just be comfortable within my own skin. And for me, there's, I have a great barometer. She's in the other room right now. And that's my fiance, Allison. (laughs) 
who's a shaman and dude, I mean, I watch, she's a very functional, happy person and just of the utmost integrity and just a bright light. And I mean, I, I coax her into doing some of my stuff here and there just cause it's fun to watch how it works on her. But I watch her every morning. She sits at her altar. She goes within, she talks to her guides, her God has her prayer, her version of whatever her meditation is. I don't even really know what it is. And, you know, lights her, lights her shamanic tools and there's smoke and, you know, I smell things and hear things and she pops out of that and she's good to go. She doesn't need to go do an ice bath or sit in the sauna or get on the biocharger or take 50 supplements. Um, so I have a great example of someone who is finding what they need from within and their relationship with spirit. Yet at the same time, there are days when she's like, wow, I'm smoked. And I'm like, here, have some of this. You know what I mean? Like it's your mitochondria. Let's work on that. Right. So it's, it's, it's good to have kind of both extremes, someone who's doing a lot of things like me externally to fulfill my needs on the inside. And someone who just really is self-fulfilled through her relationship with God. And so, you know, there's not, I don't think there's a right or wrong. And again, it kind of goes back to those human seasons we have, right? Where there's times where we do reach out for a lot of external support. And then there's times where we really just need to go within and, and just acknowledge our own power. It, mm. It's like my relationship with, with spirit is, it has grown so much over the years where it used to be kind of a thing where God is over there and I need to go find God, like the term spiritual seeker, right? Like it, it, it's some elusive force that I have to go through all these steps and jump through all these hoops to find when really it's not an, it's not a process of acquisition. Like I need more spirituality in my life, any more God in my life. It's what needs to get pushed out of the way so that that, which is all present and omniscient, omnip, what's that word? Om, om, omnipotent. 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 Thank you. That's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> Yeah. So that that can be revealed, right? It's, I don't need to go, you know, find the sun. I need to just realize that the clouds are getting in the way of my experience of the sun. So maybe it's not to go find the sun, but to actually let our own sun shine from within. And one thing I'm really present to, I mentioned we were just at a leadership training in uh, the mountains of Telluride, Colorado. We had no cell service. We had no electricity, no hot water. We had, an, we had a river and an ice bath and a sauna and 40 men. And it's just us and our stories. And believe me, the, on night one, the urge to get in my pack and get my phone and start scrolling to only to realize my phone's dead. It's like, oh, oh, we're, we're really out here. Okay. So like, and I, I could feel those impulses come up and come up and come up and want the hot water. And by like day three, four, five, like, I don't need any of that shit. Like, I feel so good with the absence of some of these crutches, as you called it. And, and there's, a, there's a part of me that, that really is, is finding solace in this idea that it's not about attaining new things constantly. It's about shedding those pieces that are actually distracting us from the God within. Uh, very well said. Yeah, it's, it's deceiving because if we feel a sense of lack, I think it's within human nature that we want to get something with, from without and add it to us, right? Whether it's more knowledge, like another spiritual book, right? Another spiritual yeah. book, another retreat, another this. But it really is at the end of the day, in my experience, about subtraction. It's like, what can I get rid of that's blocking my experience of my true self and my experience 
of having a, a true ongoing dialogue and relationship with, with my creator. And it's, it's tricky because there are tools, but those tools have a, a flip side of the coin, which can often be distractions or crutches, right? And how many of us in the health and wellness scene get obsessed with, you know, diet flipping, right? Like I'm going to go keto. I'm going to go vegan. I'm going to eat this, not eat that. And it's like, dude, at the end of the day, if your mindset is right, and, and granted, as I said earlier, you're not eating actual poison, you're good. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like... <laughs> You know, people get, because, because it's easy to get kind of caught up in some of the superficial changes and especially so when we see results from that, right? If you've been eating junk food and GMOs for the past, you know, for beginning of your life, right? And then all of a sudden you do a fast or you go vegan or carnivore or whatever it is, and you, you start feeling better. You're like, Ooh, the answer's there, but it's just because there was an imbalance there that's now been corrected. But the temptation is to keep looking for corrections instead of just going, wow, I'm actually here. I'm whole, I'm stable, I'm complete. And going within and continue to capitalize on that innate wisdom that we have. So it, it's, it's, it is really interesting and nuanced in that way. Yeah. <clears throat> you, you speak about how to find God without religion. And we were, we're kind of touching on it here. I want to go a little bit deeper, but I had experience in my life. Uh, I was in Israel I was on the beach uh, with my son at the time and um, uh, Palestinian families on the beach. And I was speaking to this woman, our kids were playing. It was really amazing. And, you know, after, after about two minutes of conversation, as, as it happens over there, she, she asked me, what religion are you? And I kind of said, I'm I'm on my own path. And she said, your own? No. (laughs) She just said, no. You know, no. no. That's and then, wrong. and then, and then, kind of like gave me a, a little bit of, you know, don't you know Allah is the only truth in this world? And I was like, this, this is so beautiful, and I, and I love your devotion, and I believe that there is a path for each and every single one of us. And so, what is your uh, specific understanding or teaching about what it means to find God uh, without the external religion? Well, my foray, at least in any earnest and dedicated way into spirituality and into having a relationship with something bigger than myself was uh, born out of my uh, recovery from addiction. So, you know, my childhood and adolescence and into my 20s was just rife with just rampant addiction to just about everything you can imagine. And um, and it became a life-threatening situation, you know, so I checked myself yeah. into treatment when I was 26 with the help of my mom, I always got to give her credit. I don't think I would have been capable of even showing up somewhere and I, I doing guess, that. I love how much you shout out your mom and how much she's a, a, a big uh, influence in your journey. Yeah. I mean, especially with that one, I, you know, I don't know who else could have uh, helped me at that point um, just to get that done. But anyway, the, the answer to your question lies in, I was so fortunate to have such an easily identifiable problem and one in which, <laughs> or one to which the solution is spirituality, right? I mean, you can change your friends. I mean, when you're really in it, like I was, and so many people still are, uh, you can change your friends, you can get a new job, you can quit your job, you can move apartments, you can move cities, you can move across the world. You can do just about anything. And wherever you go, you will find you, you know? Mm-hmm. And so when I finally got to the point where I had tried everything on my own resources. I mean, I really did. I really tried to quit the hard drugs and the drinking. My goal was always just to smoke weed because I love smoking weed. And, and, and that was like, 
that was, the, that was the, that was the hardest one. I just couldn't give that up, but eventually my back's against the wall. I'm sensing that something really, it's like when you watch in a cartoon and there's a little canoe that's going about to go over a huge waterfall and perish. Yeah. I was like at the edge of that waterfall. I didn't know what the waterfall was or when it was going to hit, but it was going to be prison or, um, you know, some violent event or, uh, you know, losing my apartment, something bad, ODing, you know, something was about to happen. It was just at the end. And so since I had used all of my resources that I had and failed every time for a number of years, that's when I had my true surrender. And in most treatment centers, and I'm sure this is true to some degree today, what you're really taught is the spiritual principles of the 12 steps born out of Alcoholics Anonymous. And that was really the only thing that was going to work for me because it was something that I could develop an understanding of myself. You know, the, the tenets of that particular program are to surrender your life to a God of your understanding, right? So mm -hmm. you could cling to your childhood religion, you could find a new religion, or you could just go out into nature and be like, wow, something created this and it wasn't me. Maybe that something could help my ass, you know? And mm -hmm. so my prayers to God, uh, I remember the day, it was February uh, 16th, 1997. My prayers were just to a very general God that I didn't even know or believe in at all. And it was not a religious God. It was just like, whatever you are, wherever you are, <sighs> I get choked up because I know what, what happened for me as a result of that prayer was, it was just an absolute miracle. Yeah. And what's beautiful about it is that, you know, the loving hand of God was there for me as soon as I had the humility mm. to truly lay myself before that supreme power and say, like, I need help for real, for real, and I'll do anything. I'm willing to let go of anything that I perceive to be a value in my life, even in that moment, my physical freedom, right? Um to sequester myself in this place in the woods to get help. And, you know, what happened for me was just so miraculous that for the past almost 24 years, my life and my relationship to spirituality has just been actually exploring what happened that day, <laughs> mm. you know? And I don't, I don't think wow. back like, what was it that day? But it's, it's exploring that when I got out of my own way and I asked for help, I think the biggest miracle there is that, well, there's two, A, that that help came. And from that moment until now, I've never, ever once had the obsession that used to plague me to use drugs and alcohol. Mm. It just poof, gone, went away. And I've been using since I was, you know, eight or nine years old. Yeah. And so to, to be free of a craving for, you know, heroin or crack or alcohol or any of these things that just had me so entrapped was part of the miracle. And the other part was that I didn't even believe in God, you know, and that's, yeah. And that's, that's, that's how beautiful and unconditionally loving spirit is the spirit that I have a relationship in my life. It doesn't require me to go in a certain building or to read a certain book or to have any set of beliefs or follow any dictates or anything at all. It just requires my heart to be open it requires my, my earnestness, my humility, my sincerity, my willingness to be honest with myself, yeah. uh, my willingness to know and believe that 
It's a possibility that this power might enter my life and help me if I allow it to. And so maybe the most divine gift we have is free will. And when we relinquish part of that free will back to the creator, that really gets the creator's attention. It's like, okay, I let you do whatever the hell you wanted to do. I gave you your own volition, right? Both your soul's volition, the will of your soul as a, as a traveling entity through lifetime after lifetime. And in this individual personality and body that you were born with in this incarnation, I'm saying, here's your free will, do what you want and accept the karmic consequences of, of the good and, and then the less than good you do in your life. And for a human being to get to the point and I don't believe this has to come through suffering. It just did in, in my case. There was just nowhere else to turn. I'm not, it's not, it wasn't a virtuous, you know, uh, exploration. It was just like something has to be better than what I got, right? But in that, in that offering of my will saying, you know, if you do this for me, I don't care how you do it. And I will devote my life to you, whatever you mm. are, you know? And, and then, it is so you know, beautiful. And then of course it, it didn't just end there. I didn't walk out of rehab and be like, cool, I'm just going to go back to my old apartment in Hollywood and, you know, keep living the way I was, but stay sober. I mean, I really devoted myself to uh, my recovery program for a long, long time and, and a number of different ones as different, you know, disorders kind of emerged over the years. But I think back to your question, you know, finding God without losing yourself is about maintaining one's autonomy, but also acknowledging that there is something that that created me and, and allowed me to be embodied here and that there's no need for me or anyone really, I believe, to take on any specific dogmatic role or theology or belief system. What we have the opportunity to do and what I've done so, however um, imperfectly, is to align my will with spiritual principles. And for me, spiritual principles are timeless universal truths that are in a sense access points to god so i mentioned humility um self-honesty reciprocity Mm. uh, forgiveness um unconditional love a prayer meditation these are all the principles born out of the 12-step movement and again someone doesn't need to apply a 12-step group to their life in order to have this but what I think is so incredible about that movement in general is that they identified a non-religious, non-dogmatic way to apply truth to your life. And truth being synonymous with God allows one to just go, okay, what's a universal fundamental truth that I can, that I can learn a bit about intellectually and then build into my character so that I become a person who's essentially built out of these truths. So if I start to learn in an intellectual way, the basis of integrity. What what does that even mean? What does that look like? And start to live my life and apply integrity to my thoughts, my feelings, my deeds, and to be congruent with my, you know, my behavior and how I do things over the, over some time by applying that principle of integrity, I become a more integrous and whole person, a more complete, solid person who says what I uh, mean, mean what I say, do what I say I'm going to do, don't do what I say I'm not going to do, et cetera, right? Yeah. So it it's sort of, when you just go straight to the core principle, you release, hopefully, the guilt from imperfection. And again, going back to that humility of like, okay, I'm aiming to live by these principles. And I know that I'm going to fall short because I'm still a human. <laughs> if I was able to 
with complete perfection, adhere to these divinely gifted principles that have been given to me by providence, well, then I would be in the celestial realms or somewhere else where there wasn't a need to learn how to apply those in the human realm. So if I can have these instincts and this ego and this intellect and all these things that seem to be kind of fighting against my my higher vision for my life, and little by little, I can start to integrate these principles into my life. And these principles are throughout all spiritual teachings that I've ever heard of or discovered in my whole journey, whether it's Christianity, Islam, Kabbalah, Kundalini yoga traditions, I mean, whatever it is, you're going to find ultimately the same core principles. And if I can gradually and sort of incrementally learn how to integrate those into my day-to-day living waking state, what happens is over time, I start to have more integrity in terms of my value system and my ability and willingness to live by my values. And born out of that is this inherent sense of morality, not not morality that I was taught in school as right, wrong, or good versus sin, but a morality of doing what I know to be in my highest good. And as I discover that highest good, what I learn is that the will of God is in the highest good for everyone. <laughs> so as I, yes. as I surrender you know, my little thoughts and plans to the creator with at depth and really just say, hey, like these are the little funny human ideas I have, and I'd really like for this to happen— but I'm going to turn everything I desire, which is my will, right? When you die, you leave a will. It's what you want. So my will is like my drive, my desires, what I wish to happen. If I'm able to continue to do the work toward those goals, but put the results in the hands of the creator, at times it's going to seem like I'm losing myself, right? Back to that statement that I made. But really, I'm gaining the world because the creator has the highest vision and the highest good for all things in all places in all times. And I'm inclusive within that highest good. So it goes back to me as a, as a somewhat limited human, because we're in this human body, having the experience that I don't know at all times, what really is good for me. You know, I want this house or this relationship or this career, and I'm really attached to that. And that attachment is causing me pain because there's a fear associated with losing something I have or not getting something that I want and working through those surrenders after surrender after surrender and getting on the other side of it going, ah, okay, now I get it. I see that there was a plan that was going to serve my highest good more so than the little short-sighted plan that I had in mind that I was so attached to. So it's, it's about... If one chooses religion, great. If one chooses a particular practice of meditation or mindfulness or, you know, following the the dictates of a certain book or teacher or teaching, as long as it's aligned with universal truth, it's going to take you to the same place. It's like all windows in the mansion lead inside the same mansion, you know, or all paths to the top of the hill lead to the top of the hill. It's kind of a matter of which one is suitable for your soul's stage of development at this time and place. And, you know, there was a time when like, A Course in Miracles was what I needed. And then that took me to a certain place. It was the teachings of David Hawkins, who's still probably my all-time favorite spiritual teacher. And, you know, all these different kind of phases that met me where I needed to be met. But all fundamentally those teachings were doing was just identifying universal truth for me to apply to my life. And then next thing you know, you, you have some integrity. After some time, you realize like, wow, people actually can depend on me. I can depend on myself. I I delude myself and lie to myself less. I lie to others less. I'm more real, more authentic. 
I have more capacity for uh, vulnerability and intimacy with myself and with others. And it just keeps getting deeper and deeper as I, again, going back to earlier, like discard those things that I'm doing or beliefs that I have around myself or around God or spirituality that are false. It's just more subtraction, just getting rid of, getting rid of, discarding untruth. And what is revealed when untruth is discarded is the truth that was fundamentally there the whole time. Yeah. What I'm, what I'm left with from that is that when we humble ourselves before God, we find truth. And this sense of reciprocity and the sense that you had of like, oh, not only am I, uh, is my inclusion necessary in this uh, act of reciprocity that is life, but you're finding like, you know, like, actually, I'm, I'm not only just being included, I'm, it's necessary for me to be in the game. You know, it's necessary for me to get in the picture so I can perhaps like help perpetuate uh, some of this truth and permeate some of the truth. So what I wanted to ask you from here is maybe for someone who's at the beginning of their journey or for someone who is struggling, how do they tap into that relationship with self and with self-love? Because like, so in that part, when was it when you started to actually love yourself? You know, for me, it was too much of a leap in the beginning to (laughs) find any kind of true self-love, honestly, because... There was so much shame and so much unresolved trauma in the way of that experience of myself that the best I could do was relying on external approval and validation. And the bridge for me was in allowing other people into my life, especially in the form of mentors that could see through all of my defects of character and shortcomings and could actually love me fundamentally for who I was and see the truth and the light within me that I could not yet see. And through their unconditional love and dedication, uh, specifically in in the world of recovery, um, I started to get some semblance of Mm self-esteem and do things for myself that were progressively more supportive to my growth and well-being than destructive. It started to become uncomfortable when I would do things to sabotage myself because I would have someone there holding me accountable and someone who wouldn't hold me accountable with punishment, ideally. I mean, although that happens sometimes too. And frankly, I probably needed that in the beginning because I was such a manipulative liar, frankly. Um, you know, I could, yeah, but they're, they're keeping you in integrity is, is really, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so I think over the years for me, just having people in my life that supported and loved me until I could begin to do so for myself. And then a lot of the self-worth and the feeling of being deserving of love for me, uh, and even continues now, because it's just, you know, it's all just a journey, right? Is um, having found resolutions to so many seemingly insurmountable difficulties in my life, that each time I overcome one of them, I'm just driven to serve. And that's another, really one of the other fundamental principles that I've devoted my life to, and that's the principle of service. And I discovered early on that even though my self-esteem was trash and I I really felt so worthless in the beginning of my journey that, you know, there was some kid that maybe came into rehab three days after me and I was like their hero because I had three days sober. (laughs) I'm not even kidding, you know? Like when when you're in the throes of addiction, I mean, just to go 24 hours without using is, it's an impossibility for most of us. I mean, it really is. That was was me. I mean, there was no, 
oh, I'm going to take a week off. Like that was just not conceivable ever at all. Um, so, you know, I think that it's important for people to identify that no matter where you are on your path to wholeness and healing, that there's someone who's just a few steps behind you and identifying that you have just a little bit to offer them Mm -hmm. is so valuable because you start priming yourself for service. And then as you continue to overcome and surmount your difficulties and challenges, it's like, you can't help, but kind of shout from the rooftop. Like you guys, I overcame this big thing, you know, whether it's dysfunctional relationships or codependency or, um, resentments or the inability to forgive someone that's harmed you or to forgive yourself for the mistakes you've made. I mean, these like spiritual and psychological blocks that we have to overcome or our relationship to money or finance, which was huge for me. Um, I used to just sabotage myself constantly and just, I would, it's like, I couldn't hang on to money because I, I didn't feel that I would deserve to have any. So I would work hard and I'd make it and then I would go spend it all and then go run up my credit cards just for an added bit of self-punishment, you know? And so that wasn't something I could advise people on until I figured out how to surrender that part of my life and be divinely guided on to handle these resources, to handle the, the art and spiritual nature of currency, right? And then once I, I don't, well, I would say I figured it out, but once I was shown how to manage that part of my life with a bit more wisdom, then anyone that I hear, you know, over here, someone that comes to me like, man, I'm like in this credit card debt or, you know, I can't hang on to my money or manage my money. I'm like, Ooh, I know some solutions. Like I can't wait to share with them and be of service to them for fun and for free. Let me, let me ask you about, I know what the suffering, I know what the suffering feels like, you know, like when you've suffered in a very specific way and you've overcome it, it's like, I think you would have to be a sociopath not to work really hard to help others get themselves out of that same predicament. I mean, how could you not do that? I don't know. Yeah, we, we teach uh, what we most want to embody or what we have come to embody. And I, I love all this that you're saying because ultimately this is not about enlightenment. It's about embodiment and how we carry ourselves in this realm. And so, you know, I have a sense that life has its own set of initiations. And what I'm hearing from you is you're actually really good at identifying when you've been initiated into the next <laughs> phase. But, but, yeah, but yeah. a lot of people don't see it like that. A lot of people are go, are like maybe with your story would go still be pondering over, damn, why'd that Rottweiler bite me in the face? You know, why did that happen? And still be angry yeah. about that. Instead, you know, I'm, and I'm, I'm like kind of prefacing a story I heard from you earlier, but instead you see it as you, you're able to see it in hindsight as, wow, man, maybe God was in that Rottweiler right then, right there. Oh, maybe man. God was in that seven grand that I got right then, right there. Yeah. And that initiation that you're able to recognize, transmute, and then to share with others is your superpower. Oh man, absolutely. That's, that's such a huge part of the game. And thank you for, for bringing that up. Cause it's one of my favorite sort of, um, I guess a practice or almost a game I play with myself is in the midst of a challenge, how, and this is just moment by moment, thought by thought, or sometimes it might be, you know, a thing I'm chewing on for a week or two, or like, ah, oh God, I got this thing in my life that is less than desirable. How fast can I get myself into seeing it as an opportunity yes. for growth and evolution Rather than having to think like hindsight is 2020, right? Like looking back 10 years later, oh man, I see why I got bit by that Rottweiler. That was the <laughs> beginning of some, some beautiful events that were, were about to unfold in my life. How can I see the moment that I'm in as an opportunity and find, find that initiation 
for an opportunity to grow right now, either by you know completely changing my perception of it or in many cases having to take action. And it's a, re- it's a really good point that you brought up because right now in my life, like the past week or so, I have been just an absolute train wreck. Uh, I have a, a situation in my life right now um, involving uh, renovating this house that I just bought, for which, of course, I'm just ecstatic and so grateful. But I'm having some real world challenges with um, some of the people that that I'm working with to get this done. Okay, yeah. and I've tried everything imaginable within my set of tools to communicate with the other parties to, uh, you know, change things. I mean, I've, I've been patient. I've been understanding. I've put my foot down at times and given ultimatums like, Hey, this isn't working. I mean, I've done everything that my intuition and logical mind can come up with and it's just not working. It's not working. Something much more drastic needs to happen in order for me to get my life back and my sanity back. And so I've been continually over the past week, just surrendering this issue to God. And in my prayers, I'm just like, show me what to do. Give me a sign and I will do it. And what has emerged out of that is that the opportunity for me to move from suffering and victimhood into my power is Luke, you have to stand up for yourself. You got to find your voice and you have to stop what's happening. You got to end this as messy and uncomfortable as it might be, which has to do with, you know, a relationship around this work project. And I'm someone who just inherently avoids conflict by any means necessary. It's just Mm -hmm. not within my nature. I'm, I'm a freezer, not a fighter or a fleer. My predominant nervous system reaction when I'm triggered is I just disappear in the wall like that Homer Simpson meme where <laughs> yeah. he like just disappears into the shrubs. Yeah, literally that. And that's, you know, and I've tried that. to fight that. I've tried to fight that and like make that not my nature. And like, yeah. I want to fight sometimes. And I'm just like, ah, oh, I'm scared. Like, I can't deal with this. I'm just going to disappear, not say anything. So, you know, I've exercised the muscle of, okay, we're going to call a meeting. We're going to, you know, I'm going to put my foot down. It's not worked. Mm. Um, you know, even going out of my comfort zone and being more, hopefully confrontational, uh, yeah, confrontational, but still respectfully confrontational, right? Not accusing, blaming, just saying, Hey, this isn't working for me. And in order for us to continue, this is how it's got to be, especially when I'm the one paying for <laughs> this, you know? And so, you know, my, my opportunity to, to what we, you just alluded to now is not to sit and get stuck in that victimhood and like, Oh, why is this happening to me? I'm a good person. But what is there for me to learn and evolve through? And I think what it is, is really just fine-tuning my ability to discover earlier on when something is just definitely not workable for me. And it's going to give me an emotionally and mentally unmanageable life. Yeah. Because that's what's happening. And I'm finding that my mind is, is just getting stuck in these patterns. And I haven't lived like that in a very long time. I mean, I used to live in rumination and resentment and you know, self-incrimination. Doubt, maybe. Yeah. I mean, just like a mind that just would not stop. It would not stop. And, um, and I've, you know, applied so many of the tools we've talked about to, I just don't live like that anymore. So when that's happening, it's a clear indication that something needs to change. And what needs to be changed is not the world. What needs to be changed is me and the performance yes. that I'm giving around what I yes. see in my immediate reality. So in order for me to change my reality, what do I have to do? I have to change myself. And in this case, it has to do with going hard and, and drawing a line in the sand and, and creating some boundaries 
for me and valuing my own heart, my own self-worth. Now, it could be a totally different situation in which I find myself being unfair or aggressive or resentful towards someone. And what I need to do is really just surrender and forgive them because I am at fault. And I'm sure there, there's always some self-responsibility in any conflict one has. But in this situation, the opportunity I'm given to grow is that I have the opportunity to become someone who's unfuckwithable. And if I'm paying you to do a job and you've agreed to do it a certain way with just a basic level of professionalism and you're not doing it, you're fired. There, there seems to be a, 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 re, a real reality, right? That money is in the way. Because this, this powerful human who you have become through all of your challenges and opportunities and at Sacred Sons, we say everything is a blessing or a lesson. And that is known as a blessing. You know what I mean? So it's like, whichever, it's either a blessing or a lesson. Which one is it? Let's, let's identify it quickly. Like you're saying, but there is this real sense. And I feel it in the collective, like money is in the way, mo money, mo problems, whatever it is. Right. So how, how do we Luke as a collective, as uh, human beings in the year 2021 with this energetic cord that we are, we are all attached to it. Like, I don't give a, you know, I, I've worked with men who have millions of dollars. I've worked with brothers who have like literally zero dollars in their bank account. We're all attached to this cord. So how do we get through the, the obstacle and the opportunity of having money in the way of our embodiment? I think for me, the relationship with money has been a lesson in, <laughs> it sounds trite, but I mean, when I say this to really internalize and and have a direct experience and relationship with this fundamental truth that what we call money is energy and that there's a reason that it's called currency. It's a current that flows and we put an identification on it as some numbers on a computer screen or some pieces of paper with certain numbers on them in our wallet. And we've made up a story around what money is and everyone kind of has to agree on some valuation of something. So we are in a sense kind of agreeing to buy into something that's not real, especially if, I mean, I won't go down this rabbit hole, but especially in the case of a fiat currency, like the U S dollar, that's, that has no basis of value other than what the federal reserve tells you it's, it's a worth, story. Right? It's all, it's all yeah. a big story. Yeah. But as far as getting out of the struggle of money, which as I said earlier, I was really in for a long time, working really hard, spending all the money, working even harder, spending, you know, that whole cycle. Um, what's really helped me to get to the point where I have a more healthy relationship with this currency, with this energy is really doing deep work on self-worth and why I'm sabotaging myself and why I'm blocking abundance. Mm. And something that's been really valuable to me is observing the abundance in nature and kind of taking myself back on little daydreams or meditations wherein I'm a hunter gatherer again, pre pre agricultural revolution, uh, you know, obviously pre industrial revolution. And I'm with my tribe of 50 or 60 people and we're out hunting and gathering and there's always enough for everyone all the time. And I, you know, or another example, like the area I live there are tons of deer and I have yet to see a dying, starving deer on the side of the road. Like there's water, there's food. They're going to find it. You know, the squirrel with his acorns, like homie ain't running out of acorns, right? (laughs) When a, when a tree blossoms, a bunch of cherry blossoms, like there's too many blossoms. They just fall on the ground and die. By the way, that squirrel's not going into acorn debt. 
You know what yeah, I mean? Dude, not like, fuck, you know, I'll, I'll have it for you next month. Just give me a couple more acorns. Yeah. So, <laughs> it, you know, it's, it's really tapping into the abundance and, and getting out of sort of the, the lie that we've been told about money, that it's this finite resource because all money is, is a representation of the potential for goods and services. Right. And so those goods and services are unlimited, yet we think the thing that points to those goods and services is limited. And there's no way to break out of that limitation unless we are able to individually understand that we are unlimited and that we are deserving of the participation within the earth's system of abundance, abundance of water, abundance of sun, abundance of air, abundance of food, sustenance, calories. If we see ourselves as apart from nature in this dominionistic sort of way that humankind by and large has developed itself into, then there's never enough for everyone to go around. And we start to take on this scarcity mindset and it's more internalized if we feel like okay, that guy across the street has a nicer truck than me and there's his house and it's a bigger house. I don't deserve to have what that person has. That person has every right to it than we do, but without doing some of that deep work, shadow work, trauma work, self-work worth, no matter how hard we work, even if we do get the external representation of that money, it's never going to give us the sense of satisfaction and security that we think it will, because that sense of satisfaction and security can only be found within ourselves. Absolutely. Like if you, if you put me in, you know, a $5 million house here in Austin today, and I have an unsatisfied mindset and a scarcity mindset, you will move me into that house. Give me all the furniture, my little heart desires, everything's just dialed in. And I will still feel like something's missing because there's yes. something missing in the way that I relate to my reality. Whereas I can be in this temporary apartment in B cave right now, which is somewhere I would never choose willingly to live. But if I can sit here and go, man, this is so awesome. Thank God I have this temporary apartment and it's not exactly, you know, my dream, but I'm so grateful for it. And I can cultivate satisfaction and abundance and joy for that within me, then you move me into that $5 million house. I'm going to be in there feeling like the same exact guy. But we get caught in this trap of, I'll feel like I deserve it when I have it. What if I could just jump to, I deserve it and not in an egotistical or entitled way, but I deserve it because I'm a sovereign human being that God put on this planet to thrive. I deserve it from that standpoint. What if I can just get into the deservedness and the worthiness right now and then each step of the financial ladder that I traverse through the accumulation of wealth, I will actually just feel like the same person <laughs> because that's the person that I'm building inside. And the interesting thing about that, that I trip on is the more I'm able to just work on the inside, the less I worry about money and the more of it shows up and the more of it shows up from totally random places. And I mean, it's part of the nature of the work that I do too, because I work with I mean, I have a few different streams of income, um, some of them bigger streams than others. So sometimes it's like I get a PayPal. I'm like, what? I wasn't expecting I that. Think, it's just I think that's a real phenomenon, though. And I understand it comes through with the way that you work. But even for others, once we have that inner self-worth really dialed in versus the external validation, the money does start to appear in, in, in all, the, all of the ways. It does. Yeah. Yeah. Because we're 
we're getting into the nature of things, right? We're, we're aligning ourselves and becoming in agreement with that abundance I spoke to about the cherry tree. We're actually yes. just acknowledging there's no shortage of goddamn cherries in the cherry orchard. There's just not. There's enough for all the birds, all the people, everyone. And then those seeds are going to go in the ground or those pits and more cherry trees are going to come up. You know, I mean, it really is the way it works. And another example of that that's beautiful is if you go to, I love spring water. I've been a spring water harvester and aficionado collector um, for a long, long time. And if you go to a place like Mount Shasta, California, you go to the headwaters of the Sacramento River and you just watch thousands of gallons of pristine, clear, pure water fire out of this rock. And it just keeps coming for thousands of years, presumably, right? And it will probably never stop. I mean, you watch something like that in, your na- in nature and it's like, oh, okay, there's plenty of water for everyone. Not in all places on the planet. Obviously there are places that don't have gushing springs, but it's, it's an example of, oh, I need my life to just mirror that. I need to be in that kind of flow, literally. I mean, it's a, it's, it exemplifies that there's way too much for all of us on the planet. And I think oftentimes, aside from just the personal self-worth and cutting oneself off from that flow of currency because you feel flawed and broken and you have a deep shame core. Mm. The system of finance has also been set up to perpetuate the false reality that there is a shortage of resources and money. And that's done, of course, by the people who have figured out how to manipulate the human mind and the collective because they they themselves have such a lack mentality that they've devised this whole system of fiat currency and credit and, you know, the central banking system to trick the rest of us into thinking there's not enough because that's their belief system. Right. And And that's where that's, sorry to interrupt, but that system of supply and demand, they did it with our, with our food, with our resources, and they did it with our spirituality as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's like that game that's being played. It's being played on every, every level yet. When we attune ourselves to this reality that we were born into, when we start to observe the abundance in nature, we can start to also invite that in and embody the abundance that is our true nature. Yeah. But I, I have a Absolutely. sense that that supply and demand that we spoke about, um, that we're speaking about in, in terms of these, uh, in terms of money and resources, it's the same thing with God. It's like there, there, there's, there's a middleman to God. If you want to talk to God, you got to go through me. And if you want to get to me, you got to do all these other things. You know what I mean? So true. So true. Yeah. I never thought about it in that, in that way. It's the same could be said for the medical scientism, right? That we're experiencing right now. Yeah. You know, we were joking before we started that you can't post the word immunity on Instagram anymore. You know, I I got like a CDC link on my Instagram and I wasn't even talking about the thing, you know, yeah, yeah. I was just like, Hey, this is what I'm doing for immunity, which I just do all the time, regardless of whether there's any kind of, you know, widespread um, infections going on or anything. And that's the same thing. It's like, no, 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 you can't do this yourself. You need us to keep you well here, come over here, kid. We're going to give not you not only that, shot, but if you, you know? want to, if you want to talk about vitamin D and vitamin C, we're going to shame you Yeah, because, yeah, yeah. because that's, because that's not the profitable way. That's not the, the, the mainstream narrative, you know, that's being, that's being promoted. And yeah. for me, I'm like, where are the real, like, uh, people who are interested in our individual and collective health? You know what I mean? Where are the, where are the ones who can, can speak? step outside of the narrative and speak directly to us about what is actually good for us. You know what I mean? Yeah. Getting outside yeah. the movement, breath, touch, uh, play, all, all of those pieces that we talked about early on. But like, why is, why do you feel that that is not being 
um, spoken about openly? Well, profit and control, you know, an empowered populace is very difficult to control, yeah. right? Yeah. If, if each person has a, a fundamental understanding of their biology and they've taken responsibility for their biology and in fact, just for their lives in general, uh, financially and otherwise, it's very difficult, difficult to control a free, autonomous human spirit, right? It's only if you can <laughs> trick a human into thinking that there is some authority outside of themselves that is going to protect them and take care of them, some agency of some sort, right? Right. Um, that then you, you've got them with that carrot on the stick, right? It's like, oh, no, 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 you, you can't quite get this on your own because you don't realize you can just like turn the other direction and start eating carrots right out of the ground. <laughs> so I think it's like, I think it's, um, you know, and then not to be like, I don't think that all of these people that have set these systems up have done so with the intent of harming other people. I think many of us are just indoctrinated into a, a broken system. And so it's not about vilifying the medical system as a whole or all politicians yeah. or all bankers or anyone that we see as this or sort even of all media. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because, you know, there are of course people that are well-intentioned and sometimes people that are well-intentioned that are misinformed. But to your point, I think that it's just really about control and it's about profit. You know, you can't patent, uh, you know, vitamin C, you can't patent ozone, you can't patent zinc, a mineral, right? And so if you can't patent something, then you can't control it, you can't monetize it. So it would be in the shareholder's best interest to silence anyone that's building public awareness around some of these cheaper and safer interventions when it comes to our health. You want, I mean, if you're driven by profit and control and power, the last thing you want is an empowered populace. And so that's why I guess people like me feel so emboldened to actually speak freely on the channels I can get away with it. I think I've been, I've been relegated to my telegram channel at this point, cause I just can't say anything without getting <laughs> censored or, you know, shadow banned, but it's, um, wow. it's up wow. to us, you know, individually to stand up for what we believe to be true. And also to, to have the, the, um, compassion and tolerance for people who disagree. And I think with what we're seeing now in the world, one of the biggest travesties of the whole thing is this, the powers that be incentivizing us into more tribalism, right? Yeah. It's like last year we had all, we had all this racial divisiveness and then, you know, that kind of died down. People are like, wait, we were actually kind of cool before. Like what happened? And then now it's like vaxxers against anti-vaxxers, right? That's the new thing. And it's just, it doesn't have to be a this or that, a me and them. How about just a us? And I respect your choices in your life as long as they don't infringe on my life and my rights, and I'll do the same for you. Um, but that sort of mentality and that point of view makes people more sovereign and much more difficult to control. Yeah. And so it's just, it's part of the karmic inheritance of humankind in my view. And I think where we are now is we are in a major soul evolution reboot as a species. And it is the most beautiful time and the most tragic and terrifying time all at once. It's kind of like yeah. for those that have done five MEO, <laughs> shout out to my toad, my toad brothers and sisters out there. The, That's what the, the world is like on Bufo right now, which yes. to me, for those listening that don't know what I mean, it's like everything you can ever imagine all at once at the same time in the same moment, you know, all emotions, yes. all thoughts, all feelings. It's just the 
you know, what we perceive to be kind of the opposites is there's so many people awakening and getting into spirituality and meditation and breath work and groups like sacred sons, like uplifting these brothers that are going to be great dads and husbands and leaders in society. And at the same time, you're like, okay, look at those guys. And you look over here and you have a bunch of people trying to stick an experimental medication in everyone's arm and kick them out of their job if they don't do it. You know? So you have like this absolute growth spurt and such encouraging developments in our evolution as a species. And then you see like this draconian backward ass, Mm. you know, regression into communism on the other side. And so I have to just kind of, as best I can, it's not always easy to zoom out and just go, okay. It's like when that dog bit me on the face, I didn't know that that was going to be the beginning of my spiritual awakening. And I needed that dog to shut my ass down and get me sober, which is ultimately what happened. And right now we're being bitten by the dog of totalitarianism. And as a species, we're going to have the opportunity to go, wait a minute, you know, how about rather than trying to tear this system down and fight, you know, fight the power and, you know, use anger to beat down angry people and use hate to try to stomp hate. What if we just go off to the side and just build our own thing? Yes. Build something new. You, you don't even have to tear down the old thing. You just build a better thing and they will come. And we're already exactly. here. You, they, exactly. they're, they're already there. You don't have to wait for them to come build it. They're standing right there like, hi, we're already here. Yeah. And you, you said something so important in there earlier, which is no one is coming to save us. And, I, and this is something that we, we speak about in Sacred Sons. It's like to stand on the sidelines awaiting perfection is not the way. What we are about is active participation in this thing that we call life, in this thing that we call brotherhood and reality and community. And so, yeah, man, I just, it, it's so important that we actually just start to participate in the, the sacred reciprocity, in the sacred abundance that is already here. And so I appreciate the way uh, that you, you spoke about Sacred Sons. I just want to ask you in this place, um, what's your relationship with community, with brotherhood, sisterhood, um, with, you know, you're in Austin, Texas. I was joking earlier about how Austin is, uh, you know, building the bridge to the new earth. Just It's just <laughs> happening right there. Like all of the, the conscious folks are moving there at yeah. a rapid pace. And, you know, like there's, a, there's some truth to this idea that we're, we, we're not afraid to get our hands dirty building bridges to the new earth. And I, I see that as our role right now. Yeah, like that's yeah. that's what we're in. And so what's what's your relationship to community and to uh, greater collective um, embodiment? Well, you know, it's interesting because there's there's kind of two ways in which I interface with community. One of them is by producing the media that I produce. Yeah. And that's it's more of a remote and somewhat detached community because you have people in different places all over the world that are of a similar mindset and that enjoy and find value in the content that I create. And I only really interface with them in a digital facsimile of reality called social media until I go do an event. And then I meet someone and they're like, I know everything about you. And I'm like, cool, <laughs> let's catch up. Tell me about you, you know? And then right. I get to give them a hug and see their shining smile without a mask on hopefully. And, um, you know, have that interaction. So there's sort of like the global community And then there's the immediate friends and family. And what's been really beautiful for me is coming to Texas. And I'm sure this is possible in many other places, but for me, it's been about coming here and seeing the, I guess you could say, a tractor field that is present on this 
place on earth right at the moment and the types of humans that are either, you know, already lived here or are migrating here from other places that are of a very specific frequency and mindset. Not that everyone's the same. There's much diversity in, in, in all the ways, but everyone has kind of a fundamental mission to serve humanity and to add value and to raise consciousness. So, yes. you know, the, the new earthers, I like that. I might, I might just steal that because it's not really a name for like the community, but what's been incredible here versus LA, and this is no shot to LA because I was the same way. I think there's just such a big city. There's so much to do. It takes an hour to drive everywhere in traffic and 5G. And it's just like, I, I rarely went out. In fact, when the lockdown happened, uh, Alice and I joked, she had just moved in like three days before that. And you know, a few months in, we're kind of like, I don't know, we pretty much do the same thing we did before, which is like sit home and just hang out with each other. Um, but what, I, what I've noticed here is that A, people get together in community all the time. I mean, way too much that I could ever withstand. I mean, I'm like looking at my calendar multiple times a week going like, why did I agree to go to this thing? Yeah. It's too much. I mean, it's just like people want to hang out too much, even for me. And I'm, <laughs> I lean extrovert too. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I'm not like, I'm not a, a hermit at all, but like, wow, this is a lot of community. So it's that it's that it's happening and that it's people really show up and follow through. Like, hey, we're having this get together. You come in and like, if you say you're coming, you're coming. And that, I think that's why I get this pressure on my calendar because I'm like, oh, I said I was coming. I'm not going to be the LA guy that's like, yeah, yeah, man, can't wait to hang out. And then you don't show no, up. You don't want to be that guy. Yeah. So, um, but what's really been beautiful about the community here, and I'm, as I said, I'm sure this is in micro communities all over the world, it's happening, but is that that it's happening, that people put effort into building it, that people show up and that people have a mindset of contribution rather than acquisition. Yes, And that's very prevalent and it's very obvious. And I noticed this right away when we came to prospect uh, homes here over Christmas is we went to quite a few gatherings. You know, we were fortunate enough to be invited to a lot of, you know, kind of the thought leaders in town to their little private, you know, gatherings and stuff. Shout out Aubrey Marcus. Yeah, he was one of them. <laughs> and, um, but dude, straight up, I mean, yeah. no one asked me what I did, you know, like you go to a party mm. in LA, it's the first thing. I mean, it's kind of the nature of the entertainment industry because you want to network and who can do what for what. And it's just kind of the way that culture there is built to a degree. But I'm like, Hey, what's up? I'm Luke. They're like, cool. You know, they're like, nice to meet you. Not like, what do you do? What can you do for me? Kind of energy. And it's, right. it's more like coming into gatherings going, huh, what can I not, what can I get out of this? But what can I contribute? Mm. And going back to that principle of service, it's just a really valuable principle and a core value that I have. So I feel like I'm with my people because that's how I think, because not because I'm a virtuous person, but just because I know the folly and the disaster of living a life of self-seeking, because that's how I lived the first half of my life. Any person I met was just like, what can you do for me? I mean, I was just such a taker. I was so self-centered and selfish and just you know, just at a really low, a low frequency of consciousness. Yeah. Um, when you have a higher level of consciousness, then people have that sense of abundance and they have what they need already within themselves. So there's too much love. There's too much brotherhood, sisterhood to, to contain and withhold in yourself too much knowledge, too much wisdom, too many opportunities are coming to you that you can't do them all. So what are you going to do? Like, Hey, I'm going to bring that to my community. So that's one. And then also it's very family oriented. I've noticed we don't have kids yet, but we, we hope to. Um, he, all my friends here have kids. Most people are in some kind of partnership or marriage. They're all about the unity and the power in being in a healthy coupleship. And that 
was something that I really struggled with for a long, long time. I mean, really, this is with, with my fiance, Allison Charles. I mean, this is definitely the first healthy, fully integrated relationship I've ever had. And as I said earlier, I'm 50. I mean, my ass has been dating since 1986. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I didn't get it right a lot of times. And, you know, I, I pray for forgiveness from those that had to put up with me for real. Um, Hmm. but you know, having that intimate relationship in my life is just, it's the cornerstone of, of, what allows me to go out into community and really have something more to give, right? I don't need anything like between myself, my God and my lady, like I'm golden. So if I can go out into the community and contribute my unique gifts, it's actually really fulfilling, especially when people are there and willing to receive and also willing to give. So um, this is a relatively new experience in my life because it wasn't like that wasn't there in LA, but when I was in LA, which was 32 years straight, um, most of my intimate relationships, especially with men, were um, at, at their core based on addiction recovery. And so often, you know, after I got a lot of help from my mentors and, and leaders and things like that, then I kind of came into my own. And then I started working with a lot of guys and helping a lot of addicts because it just brought me so much fulfillment and it had been done for me. And I just, that's what you do, right? Yeah. That, that, that piece of service. But what happened over the years was it's like, I ended up being the smartest guy in the room, you know, like, and there's an ego game in that too. You're the one that everyone comes to for answers, right? You're, you're the sponsor, you're the coach. Like I was a bit older than my group of friends and, and those relationships did develop into, you know, more of a peer to peer relationship where we were more friends. I wasn't like their sponsor or coach, but still I didn't, for whatever reason, have a lot of peers or people that were out ahead of me that were really inspiring me and that were expanders for me, you know? So a guy like Aubrey is a great example. I mean, dude's just crushing it in so many areas of his life. Right. And we're friends. I mean, I don't see him a lot, but you know, we're cool. We see each other here and there. And I'm like, what are you up to? He's like, Oh, just sold my company or this or that. Or, you know, I have my fit for service thing. And I'm like, Holy shit, this guy's crushing it. Like that's exciting because I can look at myself and not compare myself and feel less than I can just go, okay, wow. Here's someone who's really using their unique gifts and really being of service in a major way. And they're being reciprocated so powerfully in a multitude of ways, financially and otherwise. What's my unique gift and how can I give even more and have that experience of abundant success in my life? So um, having a community where I can serve, but also, you know, again, going back to the humility of like allowing myself to be served, which is really hard for me to receive. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, that's like a huge hurdle for me is to actually reach out for help and be like, Hey man, would you coach me on this thing? Or, you know, like, how are you doing that thing? I'm confused. I'm lost on that. Where does that that come from in you, Luke? Where where do you feel like that comes from that, the inability to receive, to fully receive? Dude, I, you know, I've looked at that. I've looked at that and it's like, I, I think it's multifaceted. Part of it is being so self-sufficient, however, falteringly throughout my life. Like I was just alone a lot as a kid. I was an addict. I just had to figure shit out. Like you don't trust anyone in the world I came from. Yeah, You're definitely weak ass. If you ask for help or cry on someone's shoulder, you just got to man up and deal, you know? And that was like something that I had to work through. I started to get help from other people when I got sober and the help was very welcomed, but, um, you know, that's kind of part of it. And then I think it's just the inertia, man, of just like getting cut in the groove. Like, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to crush it. I'm going to do this. You know, it's just, it's just a habit. 
And then also, I think maybe the shadow of it a bit is, is that need for approval. Like, I don't want to bother someone. I don't want to be a burden on someone. Um, maybe some self-worth stuff in there where I'm like, oh, I don't want to bug this person. Like, they're going to be annoyed. They're not going to like me if I'm coming to them asking for help, that kind of thing, you know? Um, so there's a, a bit of maybe all of that to some degree, but I think more than anything, I'm just kind of an independent self-starter type of person. And for me to pattern interrupt myself and go like, okay, stop, you've hit your wall on your capacity to successfully execute whatever it is that I'm trying to uh, get done. It takes like a huge, like pumping of the brakes, like stop Luke, you hit a wall, ask for help. And I just, I'm like, no, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to figure it out. (laughs) And so just forcing myself to stop, pause and go, okay. And I did that today. I did that today. I, I was like, I went to tea with a friend of mine right before this recording. I was like, Hey bro. I need help. I got the situation mm. happening. Um, here's how I'm planning on deal with dealing with it. Do you think that's wise? Do you have any input? Can you offer any support? And he was totally there for me 100%. And I walked away feeling so much relief because now I have someone kind of in my, in my, uh, in my corner yes. to help me go to bat. And I just had to swallow my pride of like, I can deal with this myself. Well, if I could, I already would have. Yeah. You want to know a secret um, about us as, as men? Um, we're fixers, right? Yeah. And, yeah. And, and the secret is like, we, we often have a, a challenge in, and, you know, I'm, I'm going to speak in a heteronormative way, but we have a challenge in listening to women or listening to the feminine, but because we're always trying to fix, we're always trying to like come up with solutions. But when men go to other men, we fucking love that man. Like men love to give advice. Men love to take, let me look at what you're dealing with here, Luke. And like, yeah, man, I, I see the, the challenge here and I think you're on the right track. We love to do that. This is one of the things that's come out of my experience in masculine alchemy through sacred sons. That's like, like, oh man, not only can, can I actually like lean on a brother, but it fills his cup up because, because of how, um, how much we want to uh, give and how much we want to provide. It's yeah. in our DNA as well. That's very, very well said. And it's it's an astute observation of the masculine in general, right? And this is such a great tool. I, I've interviewed uh, the author John Gray a few times on my show. He wrote the book, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, which like wow. parents yeah. would probably know about. Yeah, yeah. And I, I remember hearing about that book in the 80s or 90s. And I was like, that sounds- When I was a kid, I heard that too, yeah. Yeah, I was like, sounds corny. I don't need that. But I've interviewed him and, and a lot of the premise of his teaching is based on uh, biological hormones, right? And so- different ways that we communicate, how that affects our hormones. And his work is, is largely based on biology, but you can also apply it to masculine, feminine energetics to apply to any gender, uh, essentially. But one of the most powerful things I've learned from him through listening to a bunch of his stuff, reading his books, interviewing him is knowing that since I'm predominantly in the masculine energy, I have a male body, male biology, that I'm a fixer. And in my relationship with women, and especially the one that I'm with now, that what is the highest service of them in the highest service of them is to really become a compassionate, open-hearted listener yes. to just shut your pie hole when, when, when she needs to express her emotions to understand that what gets her out of stress is the exact opposite of what gets me out of stress. Meaning as a man, as a masculine energy person, when I'm stressed, especially in the initial stages of a meltdown or just you know, like really feeling it. If I talk about it, it makes me more stressed. 
I have to go off by myself and just ruminate and think and figure it out for a while. And then once I've settled down a bit, then I can go. And honestly, I, I do get generally more relief from speaking to another masculine energy person about it when I am ready to talk about it. Once I've totally solved it with the homies, then I can go talk to my lady about it and it doesn't stress me out. But the masculine is more reclusive and needs to take space. The feminine requires that you hold space. Yes. Which is different, right? So when Allison is is having difficult emotions, whether they're about me or just about life, the highest service I can provide for her is just to hold space and not make her feelings my feelings in a codependent way and just open my heart, breathe, and just allow her to express everything she needs to express and just keep it coming, keep it coming until she's absolutely empty. And I learned this one from John. John, and it's, it sounds like a parlor trick to get your woman to shut up. And I've been accused of them. Like, no, I'm actually trying to love you as hard as possible in the most intelligent way. But John would always say in a conversation where the feminine needs to express emotions, is there more? Is there anything yeah. else? Well, yeah, da, 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 da. Okay. Wow. I, I really feel you. I, I can understand that. Is there anything else? And I, we, we play this game all the time. And Alice is like, nope, I've said everything. And you say, that's it. That's it. I'm like, okay. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. And she's like, okay, I'm just going to say this one more thing. And I'm like, yeah, what is it, babe? Okay. And I'm, I don't, you know, again, it's not a trick to get them to stop nagging you. It's a, it's a, it's a tool to be more loving yeah, and to care for her heart and to get her back to balance and to get her out of stress as efficiently as possible. And then you know, I'll say, is there more? And there's, there's more until like, there's a real hard, like, no, I'm done. I feel better. Thank you. Yeah. But the error that many mm. of us make is because we have that fixer brain. If I talk to you about my problem, I'm not going to talk to you until I want your feedback. I'm not just talking to you to get my feelings out. I already went right. off by myself and did that. Okay. Right. I, I've got my feelings under control. Now I'm getting into my logical mind and I'm coming to you like, all right, dude, X, Y, and Z is happening. What should I do? Yeah. And I'm ready to hear that. When my partner is having a problem, it actually makes her more stressed out if I try to fix her problem and will actually infuriate her because it's disempowering and it's negating the validity of her feelings. Even though that's not what I'm trying to do, I just hear problem. Okay. I know how to fix it. Let me tell you. So that's just a, you know, it's a hugely powerful tool that I've used and I've applied and it's become part of who I am to the point where I don't even think about it. It's not like a parlor trick to like resolve conflict with my partner or anything. It's just, I just know that's the way I can best love her. And it's proven itself to be so effective so many times that it's just automatically, even when I feel the impulse to be defensive or to try and explain things or rationalize things or get her to see that there's such an easy three-step logical solution to get you out of this feeling you're in. It's not about that with the feminine. With the feminine, it's about emoting those feelings until that tire is deflated. And then you can start to build on solutions when you're invited to do so. When you're invited, that's, man, I love this question. Is there more? It's so simple, but it's so effective. Is there more? And then my, my favorite follow-up question that I've talked about a lot is, how can I support you? Yeah, exactly. How can I support exactly, you? Exactly. You just need me to listen more. You need me to, you know, what is it? You need me to take yeah. out the trash. You need, me, you need a massage, right? And really, and really listening for that answer. But what I wanted to do here is I want to come out of this micro and back into the macro because I believe what is required of us to be a bridge to the new earth is to listen. 
is to listen to the feminine in that same way. So what you're experiencing with within your partnership with Allison and, and what's required of the masculine in listening to the feminine, that is what it is going to take to bridge to the new earth on a grand scale. So, so like, I'm going to pull us out to the, to the, to the higher vision here in Luke, what is your vision of where this is all going? What is your vision of, of what your legacy would be, but not only you, but beyond you and into future generations? What is the vision of, of consciousness and what this means as we're entering this golden age? Well, it seems to me that human consciousness has been very slowly, gradually, over all time, on an incline toward higher states of consciousness. I mean, you look at what's going on now and you think, wow, we're a bunch of barbarians. Go back to the dark ages. You know what I mean? It's like, it wasn't that long ago that humans were more barbarian and unconscious, right? Lower animal states of nature. And I love animals, but I'm, I'm just speaking about, you know, the angelic nature of a celestial being that we call a human being versus a wolf in the wild that's just out to devour everything just for the fun of it, right? Right. Maybe lacks compassion, empathy, some of these yeah. pieces. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that we're each just individually playing a role in the collective. And my hope is that my minute contribution is that I'm just focusing on elevating my consciousness as a soul and taking each opportunity to merge into higher and higher levels of consciousness into that embodied soul driven person. And that on an energetic level, since there's really no separation, that duality is an illusion that because I have an individuated point of consciousness that they call Luke's story. And I sometimes get tricked into thinking that I am a single thing that's separate from everything. The more that I can surrender that erroneous perspective, yet still just work on myself, just keep my own house in order, do my work, that that is ultimately the most powerful contribution I can make to uplifting humanity and supporting other people in the continuation of that very slow incline into higher levels of consciousness. And I also feel pretty certain that being born as a human being at any time, but especially now and incarnating now is such a karmic lottery ticket. Mm. It's such a win. I mean, a winning lottery ticket that man to be alive right now. Yes. In just in this hundred years, if you just look at what's transpired on planet earth, you know, yes. in terms of technology and our ability to communicate and, it's just absolutely astonishing that we are where we are. And although things seem quite bleak, if you just zoom out, you know, and go back a few hundred or thousands of years, we've actually come a long way. And you still have pockets of people that are very unconscious and you have civil unrest in different places on the earth and you have different groups that have jostled themselves into positions of immense power that are subjugating and exploiting other groups of people. And all of that kind of human melodrama. But by and large, I think that if we each take responsibility for ourselves and this incarnation, and we just do that inner work, that the reverberation of that is like the tide getting higher and lifting all the ships on that sea. 
It's like, we don't have to go around and try and prop up everyone else's ship. Like, let's just make the tide higher, make the water level higher. And how do you do that? By contributing your own consciousness to the collective. So it's a, it's a funny way of going about kind of changing the world. It's no, I'm just going to keep changing myself. It's the only way. Yeah. I mean, the only way it is. So I, I have faith for our evolution, but I also have to acknowledge that my perspective is ultimately limited by my perspective and that God has a plan for us as a species karmically that is so far out of anything I could ever understand or try to control. That's why I don't get caught up in like save the world stuff because it's like the world you see doesn't even exist. Meaning everything is based on one's perception, right? You have this body, you have these senses and you have this intellect and everything that we experience, we interpret through this sort of receiver that we call a body and a mind, right? Our feelings, our thoughts. So what the world is to each one of us is totally based on our perception. So how could I go change that? Well, I have to change my perception of it because that's the only way it changes because it's reality is actually just a projection of our interpretation of it. And anyone that's And you don't have to do plant medicines or psychedelics to have this experience, but anyone that's done some deep work there, I mean, you realize when you're in the medicine that, oh shit, when I wake up from this, that's when the hallucination begins. I'm actually in the reality now, the capital T, capital R, the reality is that I'm not this body and my interpretation of the world. It's this quantum multidimensional you know, plasma field of reality that our senses then narrow into this narrow bandwidth that we call you, me, computer, dog, cat, job, world, other planets, space, ocean, right? But within it's all just consciousness. So I don't need to worry about what's going to happen to humanity because God's going to just allow us to keep on progressing through those stages of evolution that is part of the great divine plan. I just am going to suffer a lot less if I'm in cooperation with that than opposition. And how do I stay in cooperation with that evolution? I do my best to align myself with fundamental spiritual principles. That's my, that's my job. Keep it simple, stupid. They used to tell me that in recovery. Yeah. Why, why are you stupid when you're, when you're a newbie or a newcomer in recovery? It's because you have all these grandiose ideas about the way the world is and what you need and what you don't want and what you want and how things are and how you're going to change them. And it's like, no, just follow truth, follow truth and discard falsehood. And what's revealed is higher levels of consciousness and a greater understanding of the ultimate reality, which is like, we're on this magic carpet ride and it's kind of going where it's going without or with our consent. So let's try to be on the right side of history and make contributions of love and and good energy toward ourselves. And and ultimately as a reflection of that toward others, and it's all going to be fine. And we'll probably just keep reincarnating over and over again until each soul gets it. And you pass to the next level in earth school. And there's no need to come back here because you've transcended all of the challenges that are inherent to incarnated into a physical body. I don't know where you go some other realm other than this projection of a material world, I, I'm guessing. Yeah, I bet. I have a, I have a sense that you've peeked behind the veil a, a little bit to experience it in, in, in the Bufo ways and the eye yeah, ways. Yeah. And, and, and all of that yeah. to say that the world does not need saving and to be the change that you wish to experience in this life, in this world. Um, Luke, it's, it's been fucking awesome getting to know you and getting to hear you. 
Is there anything that you, you would like to leave with the brothers and sisters who may be listening and who may be fans of you or, you know, who want, who, who really need that last bit of inspiration from you? Yeah, I think the message that I would reflect is the message that I, I always want to reverberate back unto myself. And that is just that you are whole and complete. Mm. There's nothing missing. There might just be some things that are in the way of you seeing your wholeness and your completeness and how truly perfect and divine and lovable you are. And to just embrace that lovability and and worthiness and deservedness of being in this body, living this life. It's such a gift. It's such a miracle. And I think that... um, for myself, when I lose touch of that, it's just losing touch of my own divine perfection. And that divine perfection permeates everything that exists in in our reality. It's just identifying with that, coming back to that. Like, yeah, I am comprised of celestial love, man. That's really all that's happening here. And sometimes I get fooled into thinking I'm a body that people yell Luke's story at, but we really are all aspects of God. And the more that we can remind ourselves and remind others of that and to see others as that, you know, even the people that, that our ego tricks us into thinking that we're in opposition of, and I'm talking about, you know, for me, the, the, the bad actors, you know, the George Soros, the Bill Gates, the Jeffrey Epstein's of the world, you know, the people that I find myself going, God, I wish they would die. You know, it's like, no, 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 no. No, they're expressing their level of consciousness because they don't know who they are. They've lost touch of that light within them. And and unconditional love also means not tolerating people that are out of integrity and that are harming other people. You know, that's the thing about love we forget is that sometimes love has a firm hand and love has boundaries and love defends love against what is not love. So I don't have to attack. I don't have to criticize, condemn. I just hold boundaries for my sacred space and I love myself and I bring anyone into my sphere that is able to have the capacity to receive the love that I have to offer, which is infinite. Luke's story, you are whole and complete and you are, in fact, a miracle. And from that date, February 16th, 1997 every single day is a miracle this life is a miracle this life is such a gift thank you for bringing through your wisdom knowledge understanding and for your inspiration and for your service to life and to um to your communities that that you serve so beautifully thank you thank you thank you i i needed this today it's really Good. Yeah, man. This yeah. is what we do. Yeah, I, need, I needed this. I needed to hear my own self talk for, for an hour and a half, you know, to remind me like, yeah, Luke, this is, remember this, you know, that's good. <laughs> so that's now good. you have, maybe now you have the, the bit of motivation to go tackle this problem with these contracts yeah, in, yeah. That, in that $5 million house in Austin. Let's go. Yeah, Let's yeah. get it. Yeah. I don't have the $5 million house yet, just to be clear, but it's, uh, gotcha. it's, it's my first and it's, it's, it's good enough. Uh, thank you. Thank you for that. And yeah. And thanks for the depth of conversation, you know, going back to community now and I won't go on a tangent, but I I think for me to feel, um, like satisfied in community, I need to be able to connect with people on a deep level. Yes. I have a very difficult time with chatting and small talk. I just, it's very challenging, but like what we're doing, 
And anyone that listens to my show, The Lifestylist Podcast, will know. I mean, I could do this for hours, just exploring why, consciousness and this truth. This is why we you know? do this. It's, it's to get that. It's not even a dopamine release. It's like a, it's like a dose of a level deeper than what we are all conditioned to experience here. And like, yeah, I'm, I'm in the same thing. I, I believe even, even this technology through these mediums, like this is a part of my individual Dharma. Like I, I, I really love going deep and allowing others to, to go deep within themselves and, and then to share it and then to share it, you know, it's the best, it's the best ever, dude. And that's the thing I clown on big tech a lot and stuff, but I mean, I've built a career on these platforms. I mean, they could take it away at any moment. I'm, I'm working on safeguarding that. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's amazing that we can communicate in the ways that we do. And as independent content creators, uh, for the time being, at least, we're not beholden to anyone. And we can have conversations about almost whatever we want and, um, and also have some depth that we're able to, uh, to travel to. And then, you know, people get to experience that depth, hopefully. And the, the deeper the roots, you know, the higher that we grow. Nice. The more that we flourish, right? This is yeah. this is what it's all about. If you want more from Luke's story, check him out on the Lifestylist podcast. For now, Luke's story, Adam Jackson, Sacred Sons. We're out, family. Peace. Peace.